We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. One of the things, you know, which really helped women through domestic violence, through COVID, was the relaxations of the rent supplement, which was one of the last things former Minister uh, for Social Protection, Regina Doherty, ensured that she did before she left her post. And on the line, and re- recent weeks, I have to say before uh, I introduce my next guest, she has been very, very vocal, uh, vocal in speaking out against domestic violence and sexual violence. And that is the former minister herself, Senator Regina Doherty. Senator Doherty, thank you so much for coming on the Woman to Woman show today. That's Neil Bildo. Thank you very much for this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, Senator Doherty, you have been very vocal in recent uh, last uh, months and on all your time since I've been following you in, in women's issues and especially domestic violence. And before, as I said in, in the intro, you introduced the new measures to relax the um, rent supplement for women fleeing domestic violence just before you left. Yeah, um, so I suppose last March, there was such an onslaught of impact of COVID on every part of society that we were trying to address all of the issues that would impact the largest groups. And obviously the, the most obvious ones, Roisin, are wage um supports and so the PUP was introduced illness benefit was introduced so that people didn't have to wait the six days you know anything to stop people from making the decision of having to go to work um, and then we got to talking about maternity leave other impacts um, societal impacts of people who couldn't go to hospital and you know other issues and we tried to address them but one of I think the most poignant ones was an organization called Safe Ireland which I know yes. you're aware of um, came to me and said that um, they expected, and this is awful to think about it, and the reality is true that it has materialised. They expected, because of our lockdown, uh, for domestic and sexual violence uh, complaints to increase, um, but for the women to have nowhere to go because of all of the restrictions that were around our rent supplement, which I suppose under normal circumstances, in for normal people just needing rent supplement to find um, homes would be okay. But given that women in very precarious situations with their children can't afford to wait for weeks or for months to be mm. means tested and given that their means are probably wrapped up with their partners anyway we needed to find a very fast uh, and quick solution and different people did come to us Airbnb were one of them they wanted to help obviously given the collapse of their market and all of the uh, women's organisations such as Women Aid, Safe Ireland uh, the Rape Crisis Centre we were trying to put our heads together as to how to find um, a mechanism to help these women when actually the nose was staring at us in our face. We just needed to relax the measures and the criteria for women who were in such distress um, to get access to the necessary accommodation immediately. Um, and the only reason it took us, I suppose, a couple of weeks just to get it over the line was that we needed to find um, a body of people without making it Safe Ireland's responsibility or Women's Aid or Amber Women's Refuge in your neck of the woods. We needed to find somebody that we could arbitrarily use as this is where women need to go and they can come to us and we will give them access. Um, and so we ended up with the Garda Siakana. So if a woman found herself in a precarious situation, she just needed to pick up the phone or present at the Garda station um, and the local community welfare officer would kick in immediately and make sure that we got them into overnight accommodation, looked after them for a couple of days until we could get them into more permanent accommodation and that we would commit to giving them three months rent and whatever deposits they needed up front until we could find a longer term solution or work out what exactly they needed or wanted and obviously that would be different in relation to each family. Um, but we managed to do it relatively quick in civil service terms, to be honest with yes. you. 
Um, and actually, I've got so many letters from the organisations in the last year to tell me how impactful it's been. Um, it it kind of, I won't say it gives you a good feeling because I, I wish we didn't need it, if you know what I mean. But yes. it certainly is something that we were able to cut through red tape that I think under normal circumstances might have taken years um, and actually do something that has a real impact. So it's, it's good. But it is awful to see the rise in the numbers of domestic violence cases, coercive control cases. It's just, it's horrendous. It is, and you know, unfortunately, it's, it's not going to end uh, anytime soon. No, and well, you know, I've been involved with Women's Aid for a number of years, um, quite by accident, Roisin. Uh, Frances Fitzgerald was the Minister for Justice at the time, so this was a good few years yes. ago, and I was a backbench TD, and she was doing their, they do an annual launch every year of their, their report, and she was their guest speaker this year, and I can't remember what happened, but something came up and she couldn't go. And she asked me, would I mind stepping in? And geez, it was an honour. But God, I just got sucked in then because you meet real people who've been really adversely affected or families who've lost, you know, the ladies in their lives, their daughters, their sisters, their best friends to femicide. And you really do get sucked in. And it is a curse in our society that we don't normally talk about because even, even the women who are at the victim or at the centre of it usually make excuses, they hide it, they try and downplay it, they don't even want to tell their closest families and friends. And one good thing, I think, in the last year is that we do have... It's become really more acceptable to talk about. So that stigma that women were finding themselves, albeit still an awful situation, they're now more... Um, open to being able to talk about it because people are more able to receive that conversation instead of hushed tones and corners or whispers, you know, and that has to be a good thing because the more open you are about something and the more you highlight it as an issue, then obviously the more problems will be presented with solutions, hopefully, by people who are in power. So, please God. And that does help, and this has all been facilitated as well, when you think that as you as Minister of Social Protection, you really did put an awful lot of effort in a very, very peculiar time, an unprecedented time of COVID, and you put this through when when you were sorting out the PUP and making sure that everybody was getting the PUP uh, payment. I think the, the, P, I want the PUP was easy, but no. because, you, you know, you were faced with such dark reality of hundreds of thousands of people. So like the first week that the, the theatre closed down the country, we had 110,000 people present to Intrio centres that week when we were supposed to be staying at home, not gathering in crowded places, you know. So we knew we had to do something we had to do to do it fast. And our department and um, Pascal Donahue's department finance sat in a room one evening on a Friday and stayed there Friday, Saturday and Sunday until we came up with that plan. Now, it wasn't perfect. And I know in the beginning people give out because students were getting full weeks and you know they shouldn't have been but we needed to do something fast that was impactful and we did and then actually as the weeks and months went on you could kind of tweak it and you know then there was bans introduced a couple of months later not that it impressed everybody when we did that but you know you could you could tweak it when you had space that's that space in march last year we needed to do something fast and to do it impactful um, and the PUP and the illness benefit were the two most important things that we did, uh, apart from all of the public health advice as to how we could mind ourselves and, and look after ourselves. Um, and I don't think after, anybody, Regina, would, would fault you in what you did. I think you did what you had to do to save the country at the time. And it was amazing you know, what you did. And it worked. And it's working. I think it definitely contributed to people being able to adhere to the social and the public health guidelines. Because I think you can see now... Like I, I think it's 
in a weird kind of a way, you look at the differences between the first lockdown, the second lockdown, the third lockdown. People have become weary and fed up. And so, and we didn't have that, thankfully, in the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do need to keep reinventing ourselves because the virus keeps reinventing ourselves. And we do need to do something definitely to lift Irish people because I fear at the moment everybody is so fed up that that kind of underlying trend in Ireland at the moment is that we know we need to do what we have to do for our good health. But gee, we're weary by it and tired of it and we just want a little bit of hope and a little yeah. bit of light at the end of the tunnel, you know. So. Well, you did give hope to women fleeing from domestic violence and you have been very vocal as, uh, even as recently uh, the Sun uh, uh, reported that you were outraged at sex groupers' 100 euro fine and yeah. that you said that the, the light sentences are impacting the crimes from being reported. I do, I do despair, Russia, and I, there's another um, article in this morning's paper, and I know as a politician I'm not supposed to be critical of you know, the judiciary and there is a separation of powers, and I do respect that, but sometimes it's really, really difficult when you see cases like the one that I wrote of. The, the two women um, in a bar were groped and sexually assaulted by a man who apparently was having a bad day, and so the judge said to him that if he paid them 100 quid, you know, that he wouldn't get him a criminal... Uh, a criminal record and there's another case this morning with the same judge um, of a lady who was sexually assaulted and the judge gave this big long speech about how it had a traumatic event uh, impact on her and how awful it was and all of the things that you would expect him to say and then told the guy you know that well I'm going to suspend your sentence for a year and if you're good then you won't it'll you know it'll be spent it'll be you won't get a criminal and give the lady at the centre of the, the crime uh, a thousand quid and sure if she doesn't want your money because none why would you want your groper's money or your sexual assault's money and if she doesn't want it sure the court can give it to charity and I really think those lenient sentences send out a really strong message that the state doesn't take you know sexual violence at every level against a woman or a child or indeed a man seriously and it would make women think twice about having to report it because why would you go to all of the trouble of going through a guard investigation reliving that trauma for a fellow to be told he can be charged 100 quid and off you go? Yes. Yeah, I I'm just not impressed. Um. And this is why it's so valuable and important that that, that you... Uh, when you think public representatives like yourself, the lawmakers of our land, especially in the Shannon and in the Doyle, that we have women like you speaking out about domestic violence and sexual violence because you know what, you know it's just not good enough the rules. We, we found ourselves, the Shannon is, um, is a, a lot less an adversarial place than the Doyle is. It's, there isn't any posturing or you know, there's not, there's very little party political, you're mm. good, I'm bad. Stuff, yes. right? And so it's a much more thoughtful place and people actually work collectively together. And genuinely for the last couple of months, week in, week out, um, women and men in the Shannon have been highlighting inequalities that exist in Irish society for women. And they aren't just the stark, um, you know, issues that we talked about, whether it's sexual violence, uh, whether it's mother and babies. You know, some of the larger issues and topics that people would talk about, but even just the equality of opportunity in education, the equality of opportunity in the workplace, because whether we like it or not, women are still considered the dominant carers, you know, in the home, whether it's for your children or your parents as they get older. Women are always seen as having the less important jobs, or maybe it's because we get paid less. And, but all of these inequalities still exist, and if you don't talk about them, they're never going to get addressed. And by the same token, the more I talk about them and, and I see other female colleagues talking about them, you see the boys' eyes glaze over as if, oh God, the women are off again. Like, And 
it's 2021 and we are still such an unequal society that if we don't change it now, I think, you know, I'd be afraid that my great-grandchildren would be still talking about it in the Shannon and the Doll and it's not good enough. And so we do still have to keep fighting um, for every opportunity that we can to try and address the inequalities in life um, because there still are many. And Regina, you, you mentioned the mother and baby's homes and that you were very vocal in that as well. And you said the silence from the Commission is intolerable. They need to respond why they destroyed evidence before the Commission work was completed. I fear, Roisin, that they won't. Um, and I also, I, like I know some of my colleagues uh, in the Labour Party and the Social Democrats and Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have all been considering extending the Commission's timeline. It's due to, to uh, close down in the next week or so. Um, and actually, and I know nobody has said this publicly or not yet, I, don't, I actually genuinely don't think I see any benefit in extending the timeline because they're not answering our questions and our queries now. They're still a, a live, active body. We've asked why they destroyed the tapes last July. We've asked how they expect you know, to repair the, the testimonies that are inaccurate in the Commission's report. And we've got nothing. We've got silence. And so I don't think extending the remit or the length of time that they have to sit is going to give us any answers. Um, and I fear that they'd actually would shut shop and go, which would then really leave everything in turmoil. So I have to be honest with you, I don't, and I know I've been critical of them in the last couple of months, which is maybe not fair, but I don't envy the Minister's job. Um, he has certainly been handed an awful um, mess to try and sort out. And the really awful thing about the last couple of months is that what this was an attempt to do was supposed to bring an end to hurt and to start, you know, to reparations um, and to healing. And all we've done is compound hurt on hurt and insulted and divided um, our tens of thousands of survivors um, and nearly attempted to kind of turn them on each other. And that's, that's probably the worst outcome that anybody could have ever envisaged. Um, but it is an absolute mess and it needs to be grabbed by the horns and the repair that needs to be done as in the um, investigation into the tomb babies uh, and the DNA tracing and the dignified burial that each one of those individual lives needs to be honoured and given. Um, the tracing and the testing legislation for adopted people to get access to their birth records. All of this needs to be done and not at some point in the future. It needs to be started now, I think, to try and reinstill some sense of confidence um, in the women and their children that came forward to give the testimonies that are at the centre of this um, commission and, and the report that was published. Because, uh, Regina, like you, I, I, on Twitter, because I, I, I'm on Twitter, and um, I'd be amazed at the amount of high-profile people that there is in our country who uh, were born in the, from the mother and baby homes, whose, whose mothers went into the mother and baby homes. And I think, wow, you know, there's so many people who, who, who have come... Their, their background was that and they, they, they spent years looking for their birth mothers and their birth fathers and the, the shame they felt that their, their uh, birth families didn't tell their families or even anyone that they had a child. I think, so when you listen to the stories of, you know, the, the recounting of, of survivors' experiences, it, it can't be but heartbroken for yeah. them. And then you, you try and probably... You try and understand the thought process behind society and families and the church and institutions at the time. And whilst there is definitely blame to be laid among society, amongst families, 
there definitely is no getting away from the fact that the cruelty that was endured in institutions can only be borne, the blame can only be borne by the people who ran our institutions. Yes. Because whilst you might classify my family as being cold and hard because we brought our daughter um, to the, you know, the steps of the, nurse, or the, the mother and baby's home 80 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever like the time it was. But what that family can't be held accountable for is how society forced them to because of the grip the church had on people's mindset at the time. But what it definitely can't be blamed for is the cruel hands that we dealt those women and their children once they were in the, the, the homes, either the county homes or the mother and baby homes. And so this was an opportunity to not necessarily apportion blame, but to recognise all of the fault lines and to start repairing. And Jesus, we didn't do that at all. We told the women that their stories weren't accurate, that their memories were wrong, that, you know, that it wasn't, it was your mommy and daddy's fault for putting you there in the first place. It was just awful that the felons who were probably shamed for walking up the street, uh, and we all know that that existed until relatively recently. We know how we treated unmarried mothers uh, and even actually still today poorly. Um, all of that conundrum is an awful ugly past to look and this is an opportunity to start a healing process and by job if we could ever have mucked it up we mucked it up well and the commission in my mind has an awful lot to answer for but i really don't believe they're going to give us the answers and i don't believe extending the legislation um, of their lifetime is going to get those answers for us but we'll have to do all this stuff to repair well regina you know I've, as a woman, as an Irish woman, I'm so glad that we do have uh, many public uh, women in public rep life representing us in the Doyle and the Shannon like you with strong, passionate, vocal voice to actually speak up for us women and the voiceless. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to do it. Um, it's an honour, particularly when you talk about such delicate topics um, as domestic violence, sexual yes. violence. Um, our mother and baby home experiences, the night and laundries, all of our ugly pasts. But we need to face these things and to make sure that they never happen again and learn from them and, and make sure that our children know, you know how different times are today. And I know we still have a long way to go, but we have come a long way. So, you know, the journey that we're on. And, you know, I'm, I know uh, because... Uh Lisa Morris from Amber, manager of the Amber Women's Refuge. She would love to have come on today with you, but unfortunately she is on two weeks annual leave. And maybe we can get you on and uh, with another panel of women talking about domestic violence in the near future. I'd be, I'd be honoured too. No problem at all. Yeah. We're getting a new, yes, we're getting a new studio, Regina, and we'll have three phone lines. So I can't wait. And we'll, as soon as Great. we do, we'll talk about this. So you'll be. Uh, we have a beautiful new studio next door, so it'd be great to actually be able to do that with the three phone lines. So I'd be looking forward to that. So your star is rising. That's so delightful <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> but Regina, many, many thanks because th th we need to get this more out in the open. Women need to start standing together and supporting women more and be more vocal in the media and in the public domain about domestic violence, sexual violence and the mommy and baby homes. Yeah, I totally agree. So anything I can do, Russian, to help just... I'll have to call. Oh, I definitely will. You'll, you'll be hiding my number from your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Regina uh, Doherty, Senator Regina Doherty, and Leader of the House, I must say. Congratulations. Great to see a woman, the Leader of the House, uh, Senator Doherty. Thank you, Roshi. Thanks for talking to me Thank today. you very much indeed. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Stay well and stay safe. Bye, Bye. And that was Senator Regina Doherty uh, speaking to us there about the domestic and sexual violence and mother and baby homes. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.